It's all happening with NEO, and it's going to take a firebird to deal with the unbearable weight of massive talent. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Off Screen, another week, another batch of movies we've got you for you on the big screen, the small screen and everything in between. And we are kicking off with Happening. Uh, it's in cinemas from today and it is rated 15, so expect some potentially steamy content. Who knows? Van's seen it. He's going to run us through it. What's it all about? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think this is the steamy one this week. I think Firebird, which Firebird we're going to talk about steamy. next, that's, that's the steamy one this week. I mean, I, 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 spoilers on that one. That's We're going to get to some steamy stuff on there. But uh, so this is, um, oh, this is a lot more poignant. I mean, it's, it's it's no less sort of explicit in terms of who it's aiming for. It is aiming for, this is for an adult's drama. So uh, this is a new movie from uh, Audrey Dewan. I'm just pulling this up on here, sorry. Um, this is a uh, new movie from Audrey Dewan. It stars Anna Maria uh, Bartolomei. I'm trying to remember her name. I keep calling her Bartolomei. It's Bartolomei. Oh, Anna Maria Bartolomei. Amazing performance, incidentally. Something like a sort of sassy younger sister counterpart to Marianne Cotillard, if you can uh, imagine such a turn. And uh, it's, it's adapted by, it's adapted from uh, Annie Erno's uh, novel, which I think was from turn of the century, about 2000 at time, uh, which is about uh, a young college student in uh, 1960s France who, uh, and this is a time when abortion is still heavily outlawed and it's like a, a heavily persecuted criminal act. Um, and uh, she, she finds she has an unwanted pregnancy she tries to put it out of her mind for as long as possible until the reality of it starts to, you know, increasingly weigh down upon her, and she's, she's forced to deal with this and, and what it means for basically her entire life at this point. Like I said, this is 1960s France, so mm. this is you know barbaric times comparative to what we yeah. we would know now. This is oh, this is really something. This was, I mean, it's a hard watch. Absolutely, just, just a grueling watch at times because it can be quite mm. graphic. It's it's not gory, but it's quite graphic as in it, it, it angles itself in such a way, if you know what I mean. But it, it, it goes warts and all into it. It doesn't shy away from the darker parts of what you imagine this story has to contain. It is a hard watch, but really well captured for the screen by Dewan. Uh, great performance. Bartolomeu, she's amazing in this. I'd never seen her in anything before, but she's mm. she's quite arresting quite quickly as well. Like within, because the early scenes of this have something. Do you remember an education with Kerry Mulligan from about yes. ten or so, about ten or twelve years, something like that? There's something of a like kind of that vibe going for this. An ingenue, kind of. <clears throat> an ingenue. It's got a, a sort of more darkly tinged. Uh, sort of a feel of that. There's certainly that vibe to it, but then mm. it very quickly becomes its own its own thing. Like I say, it's it, it really got me. This I was I was drawn in. I was captivated. Great performance. Like I say, the script kept me guessing as well. Like where this was going to go. I've never. I mean, obviously, I've never read the novel, but uh, it kept me guessing. I thought, mm, don't quite know where this really is going to go. Mm. I didn't, and I, I and, and just to be myself. clear. 
Just to be clear, this is this is a French film. This is yes, yes sorry. Uh, this is this is subtitled drama. That, that shouldn't bother yeah. you at all either because it's completely captivates. One of those performances that is entirely in the physicality and the nuance and and and, and the trauma that's going through uh, Vatone, and it's one of those things that does transcend the language barrier. I know that because of the the political and sociological importance of the subject matter, like even mm. today, this has been quite critically and highly regarded in you know what you and I would you know, jokingly describe as the more cardigan like circles yeah. and understandably so because there is a, a baked in importance particularly given the subject matter it's not something that the film that, that's ever lost on the film obviously the, the, the film knows exactly how important the ground it's covering is how important the story it's telling is but at the same time that never comes at the expense of and we'll, we'll this comes up again in our next film which is obviously Firebird as we say mm. um, um, again, that it's not uh, afraid to shy away from being quite an entertaining mainstream populist film at the same time. Mm. I feel like, you, language barrier aside, you could show this to a mainstream yeah. audience and that I think it would land quite well. Okay. And do you see, for the lead actress who you're, mm. we're sort of seeing, she's she's got these kind of ingenue qualities about her, do you see her doing the opportunity to transcend into more mainstream US-based films or things like that? You know, like some, some uh, I'm trying to think of who, who is it in Le Vion Rose? Her name is just completely... Marianne Cartier. Um, Marianne Cotillard. People like that, you know, who now become like a household name. French actresses who, you know, can really yeah. like play up with the US audience. I feel I feel like the question you're so certainly asking is when can we expect her to turn up in a Wes Anderson movie? And the answer to that is I would imagine as soon as possible. Right. Okay. <laughs> probably, fine. The, probably one of the next one of the next two Wes Anderson movies. I'm sure. She's going to bump Chloe Sadu from it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. Fair enough. Totally. Um, so let's move on then Sorry, to um, one that I know you've seen then, and we've been hinting at. Let's talk about Firebird then, which despite mm. being set in so. Soviet Russia is more of an international production and is performed in English. It's English with Soviet accents, but by Russian actors as well. Yeah, so this is uh, Firebird. So this is uh, an Estonian film mm. uh, made by the Estonian Film Board. And yeah, it follows a very handsome young soldier, a Soviet soldier in 1970s. Uh, well, I suppose it's the height of the 1970s communist rule. And he is on his barracks um, and he meets another very charismatic uh, fighter pilot and they embark on quite an illicit affair and this kind of transcends beyond their time in the army but also moving into the few years that go on beyond this and I, 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 it's a true story it is something that has um, you'll see at the end credits it's it's based on you know very much a, a, mm. a real person who passed away in 2017 and that there is an amendment I think that came into or there is a, an act that came in into Russia that wasn't uh, 
implemented until 1993. It's something to do with, you know, the illegality around homosexuality. of, yeah, LGBT personnel within the military, which, of course, would then get more or less entirely rescinded in the 2010s under the the Putin regime, which is hence the political importance of this particular film. Um, Mm. You could, I think, prior to the clip, let's just describe it as you could reductively call this broke back Top Gun. At, yeah. at a point because that's kind of what it is and it, but even more yeah. than that that's only part of it there is more of a love triangle element as well you mm. have the two male soldiers you have the young privates and you have the hotshot fighter pilot you then have the hotshot fighter pilot's uh, personal secretary as well a lady who seems to be a romantic foil Olga. for the pair of them uh, Louisa played by Diana uh, Posaskaya and she, who I, I thought I actually thought was uh, was a western actress like who I just couldn't play so I'm, sure, I'm sure I've seen mm, her yeah she's sci-fi. very familiar looking I, I thought she had a sci-fi channel show like to her name mm. or something um, but as I say we'll play the clip this is uh, at a point in which there has been an Anonymous report made about indiscretions between the pair. So, where's my gift? Sergei, listen to me and don't react. Someone filed a report about us. What? They didn't mention your name, but. <clears throat> but the KGB knows something. You better go to game. I, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed this film. I think it's, you know, the fact mm, that it is yeah. a true story and the fact that it opens your eyes to this level of persecution within the military is, is a really interesting take. Uh, the fact that it's obviously Russia is quite pertinent at the moment as well. It's just shining another light on, on you know, p- a particularly diff- difficult uh, route that Russia has taken. Um, and I think the performances... You know, as you said, Russian Russian actors in an Estonian film doing English translations is is quite something, and I and I think they pull it off. All the three leads pull this off really, really well. Mm. Well, I mean, first of all, so Tom Pryor and Oleg uh, Zagardini, uh, hot couple, just just hot. Um, yeah. yeah, give give them some of that that Jake and Heath love. Yeah. They absolutely earn it. Um, this I think deserves to be a smash. I had a ball with this. Like mm. this is joyously popcorny in in what it's going for, and it works. It actually really works. Um, it's it's not afraid to go for its lowest common denominator, but just to, to go for its lowest hanging fruit in terms of the creative opportunities afforded it. But it does it so well that it almost pulls off having this, like for instance, Zolman King esque level of phallic imagery. I mean, there is a point in this. There is a use of fighter jets, a shot of fighter jets in this movie which had me cackling with laughter but at the same time having to sort of begrudgingly respect it because it was earned i mean there's there's an almost rom-com level of cheese poured over this but it's Mm. it's fine cheese it's expensive cheese so it sort of works like there's a sort of first kiss moment that's played in that sort of shawshank as you know rain as baptism kind of level of of grand of grandiosity and and it works. I mean, writer-director Peter O'Payne, I think, has done a really good job with this. I think, again, like Happening, um, but separated by that language barrier in a sense because this you know, is in straight in English, I feel like you could, again, show this to mainstream populist popcorn you know, munching Saturday night at the multiplex audience 
and I think they would walk away happy. I think Firebird, though, abs- even outside of that, this is a banger. I had a whale of a time with this. I want to see this again. This was great. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you on the big screen right now, and we are taking you through the life of the maestro, Ennio. Uh, this is the story, uh, it's a documentary about the film composer, Ennio Morricone. And if you have never heard the name before, where have you been? This man has been nominated oh God, yeah. for, I believe, I believe, six Oscars. He won an honorary Oscar, and then he picked up another Oscar very late in life for um, The Hateful Eight. And he is he is the man behind... Iconic, so, iconic. Oh, oh, absolutely. And then this is, I mean, interesting thing. I didn't notice. And this is actually, you know, in, in my notes right here, I have. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had no idea that Fistful of, um, a Fistful of Dollars was Fistful only dollars. the man's, like, third feature film. Like, that was his third one. He'd come from a TV background. It's worth noting, we don't have a clip for this because so many of the of the of the subjects interviewed uh, in relation to Ennio Morricone <laughs> um, are, uh, are are Italian. So there's a lot mm. of listening to old Italian men and reading subtitles in this. Should also point out just just full disclosure on this documentary, which I think is a great documentary. Like straight off mm. the bat, I'm just going to say that this is a great documentary. You could not ask for a more definitive chronicle of the life, times, and mind and legacy. Of any of of the maestro Ennio Morricone than this movie Ennio, which incidentally is titled "The Glance of Music" in other territories. Um, the thing you should know, though, is that this thing is 156 minutes long. Yes. Yeah that that we need to talk about because yeah. Oh wow! And actually, I mean, no stone yeah. left unturned. No, and and this is the thing is that actually I much preferred the second half of this documentary because it was more relevant. Um, Because the first half goes through a lot of his TV career, a lot of his kind of early work within Italian TV and and the industry there. And if you don't know any of that stuff, it kind of, you're kind of like, get to the good part, right? Get to the bits that I recognise. And that for me is learning little bits, nuggets of amazing information. Like he met Sergio Leone, and then he goes, I recognize your face. And it it becomes apparent that they actually went to primary school together. <laughs> and there's a beautiful photo of the two of them side by, uh, well, one person in the middle of them as kids. And then that built this beautiful relationship. And he brought them onto a fistful of dollars and then went on to the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's like, and then it's like his relationships with like Stanley Kubrick and how that didn't quite work mm-hmm. out and so on and so forth. And then you've got people like Clint Eastwood and Tarantino and people just giving this, it, it's it's a love letter of, yeah. of all of your favorite, um, all of your favorite kind of directors who take homage from the earlier directors like Sergio Leone, and then just know the power of Ennio Morricone as well. Well, it's not only that, the, 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 the contemporary composers in there as well, for instance, the likes of Hans Zimmer, for instance, who, who you know, refer in their own Springsteen's in there. Uh, yeah, yeah Springsteen's in there. I mean, there are hip-hop artists in this. Um, outside of that, though, I mean, this is a standard enough boilerplate biographical documentary structure. We, we have seen a dime a dozen of these, but it is a nicely <laughs> polished one. Um, mm. and, and it is like even down to its preamble montage, the sort of intro of this. You can you, you know how this is structured, um, and it's it's one of those that's very reverent, right from the jump. From the jump, no stone left unturned. Hence the runtime. The problem is 
even though it's got a wealth of archival material that you will never have seen elsewhere. I mean, like you say about his early TV career and things like that, no stone left unturned. Um, it, there's some genuinely fascinating stuff in there. But for me, it was just nowhere near as compelling as it would need to be to justify that, that runtime. I think as someone who's... I mean, I, I, I love the work of Ennio Morricone. There's a great moment in which they play Tarantino's speech where he says, he's one of my favourite composers of all time, and I mean like Beethoven and Bach-level yeah. composer. Great moment. I, even if you don't have him on that level, you, it, it, it's kind of geared towards people who have him on that level, like more yes. than anyone else. And it's very formulaic in its structure yeah. as a documentary. And for that, it doesn't kind of move away from that, which for anyone else, it's kind of going, come on, get on with it. Like I was like, get to the parts that I would recognize. You're going to sit through an hour before you get to that. So you, yeah, you're I'm right. Even... You have to really be a fan. I'm not even concerned about that. For me, it's just there's a lot of meandering because it goes into... There's too much detail in it, I think. And there's a lot of... I feel like I'm watching the director's cut here. And I had to yeah. check. And obviously, we know because we, we get our links from the distributors. So we know that what we're getting shown is the version that is getting shown to the public. This mm. It just felt overlong. But alas, I mean, it's still a great... Doc- it's a four-star documentary for me. Yes. But it is yeah. still... You could you could it's have had that. You, you could maybe have had that at five stars from me if this was a hundred minutes rather than one hundred and fifty six. Yeah. So let's talk about something then that I think is the perfect length for what it needs to be. Uh, it's a hundred. Uh, it's one hour forty seven minutes long. So it is one hundred and seven minutes long. It is Nicholas Cage's long awaited, I think, triumphant return. I think to to mainstream populist status. It is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Now we've known this. This is coming for a long, long time since the first time mm. it was rumored. It's one of those times where you heard concept and star, and you thought this this could be it. It's kind of like <laughs> when you heard heard about Studio 666 with the Foo Fighters. Only this actually pulls off the gag. This sustains the material. Right, so Nicolas Cage stars as Nick Cage. Okay? He is exactly the Nicolas Cage we know and love. He's he's playing a slightly more far-fetched version of himself. He's down on his luck. He's strapped for cash. He's got too many mortgages on too many castles. He's bought too many dinosaur skulls, and he's got too much of a tax bill. He's strapped for cash, and he's Nicolas Cage. Okay, so they know what they're doing with this one. And he's starring in direct-to-DVD Dross. That's all he can do to make a living. So he takes on an offer from his agent played by Neil Patrick Harris again, you know what kind of movie this is who gives him an offer from like a, a South American cartel drug lord superfan played by Pedro Pascal for the Mandalorian and the Kingsman sequel uh, to just go and appear at his birthday party, which of course Nicolas Cage does he begrudgingly does goes along meets this super fan and discovers actually he's a really good dude they get along really well they they actually are on the same eclectic weird wavelength which is what our clip's going to cover in a minute however the cia turn up as played by tiffany haddish and ike baronholt so i think a reteaming from is it the oath that he he made a couple of years ago which never got covered in the uk and uh, try to enlist the 
help of Nicolas Cage, the interview style, to basically worm his way in with this cartel lord and bring down the operation on behalf of the CIA. However, Cage himself finds his bond with the man may get in the way of that. As you'll hear, as they they, they further further develop their friendship over a love of cinema. In particular, one recent sequel. Can you just stop stalling and answer the question? What is your third favorite movie of all time? Paddington 2. What? Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Paddington 2. Connect those dots. I mean, I don't want to be a snob, but... I cried through the entire thing and made me want to be a better man. Heading into is incredible. I'm really looking forward to seeing this, actually. I'm sold. I think this is going to be one... I'm not sure my husband would find this very funny because he, 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 you've got to kind of get the Nick Cage thing. You've got to be a fan of Nick Cage. To, I don't to, know. To Actually, it's a it's a madcap enough adventure. So first of all, as a film, it's no more or less structurally interesting than the interview. It plays very very close to the interview. If you remember the Seth Rogen, yeah. James Franco, Gosh, Kim yeah. Jong Il, yeah, you remember that one. The film wasn't that remarkable. It had a, a couple of chucklesome moments, but the movie itself wasn't that remarkable. It turns out that if you had that movie with a with with slightly better execution of the concept which you do get here and it is elevated higher by that that cage level meta humor um that it works a lot better however the ace in the hole here is cage himself um to be clear Nicolas Cage himself is never the problem in a Nicolas Cage movie. He will always be exactly as brilliant as he can be. And there's been a whole thing this week about him defending his direct-to-DVD stuff. He doesn't need to. As anyone, well, any Nicolas Cage fan or anyone who's watched enough of them can tell you, he doesn't need to because he's not the problem with those films at all. Mm. He's giving you the same performance in a 13th century direct-to-DVD movie with Hayden Christensen as he's going to give you in Leaving Las Vegas. In his mind, yeah. it's, the same, it's the same game. And he's delivering on the same scale. It's all down to the material. The material's there for him here. Yeah. It works. The material is refined enough. The gags land. It all works. It knows exactly how far to push the cage reverence and the meta humor. It knows exactly when to wheel that wheel that interview plot back out. And the gags do work. Even outside of the cage concept, the gags are objectively funny. Having said that, there is a moment in this involving Nicolas Cage and a face-off statue that you might have seen in, in, in a trailer or an ad here and there that makes the movie for me just Nicolas Cage and the statue of Castor Troy from Face Off is yeah. worth this movie on its own but it is a heck of a good time for me it is absolutely the the return the, the populous return of Nicolas Cage that I've been waiting for may this be it may the cage begin here Welcome back to Off Screen. So we're moving you from the big screen to the small screen with your seven-day guide to all the top movies on your telly box. And we are kick-starting with what is on TV tonight. And that is on ITV at 10.45pm. Oh, I do love this mm. this, this new uh, reimagining of the Rocky movies, which is, of course, Creed. And we're looking at Creed 2 tonight. 
Do you think using the rules of the recent uh, sc- you know, Scream slash Scream 5 slash 5 cream, can we call uh, Creed and Creed 2 requels? Because they came up with that ridiculous term, and I don't know if we can call them requels, but this would seem to be a requel to both Creed and Rocky Four specifically. Mm. So following on, do you have the events of Rocky Four in which uh, Apollo Creed, played by uh, Carl Weathers back in 1986, uh, was killed in the ring by Dolph Lundgren's Ivan Drago, forcing Rocky to go to Russia for the greatest grudge match in the history of cinematic boxing slash just sports movies slash movies in general. Rocky Four is a banger. I will not hear an unkind word said against it. Anyway, um, <laughs> this this would seem to follow that on in which Apollo Creed's son Adonis, you know, as we've established in the previous movie, played by Michael B. Jordan, goes up against the son of Ivan Drago, Victor Drago, I believe, for basically a grudge match between the sons of... Yeah, you, you get the idea. So... I'm going to play you the clip. This is after it all goes the exact same way it went for Rocky in the first one. It, for, well, for for, uh, you know, for Apollo Creed and Rocky in the first one, in which the Russian contender proves slightly harder to defeat the first time than they suspect. You know, I watched it back in Philadelphia. You showed a ton of heart. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You showed a ton of heart. Heart? <laughs> I know you're trying to hit it. See. It's rock. Oh, it's okay. It's oh, alright. You guys gotta work it out. I lost the fight before it even started, right? No, 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 no. This guy was—he's big guy. He's strong. He got the reach. He got all kinds. Oh, of now you're trying to train me. Be my coach. Oh, look at me. Well, I'm not sure if I prefer this movie or the first Creed movie, but both of them are on par as being absolutely excellent. So it's 10.45pm on ITV tonight. Make sure you you definitely check that one out. Also, tomorrow, oh, you're in for a treat. 9.15pm uh, on Channel 4 is Iron Man, the original Iron Man, the one that kick-started it all. Robert Downey Jr. reinvented as a man of steel. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a great movie. I know you're going to be a massive fan of this one. I'm, I still think this is one of the best uh, Marvel movies. It's the original MCU launcher. But, I mean, it's, it's a movie that when you look back on now, I think is actually even more impressive because it has more of a grounded, more of an indie feel to it. I know that at the time, the, the influence heavily was Robert Altman. Uh, John Favreau, who wrote and wrote and directed this one, had said that his influence was he wanted to do Superman if directed by Robert Altman. And it shows because there's a very loose feel to it. A lot of the script is improvised. And this is quite a known fact of the movie. There was very little actual script. And you go back to the trailers and things like that. And the trailers and the marketing are made up of alternate takes of material that's in there. And you could see it as deleted scenes and audition footage on the DVD itself. But... That loose, more improvised feel, I think, still leads to a great movie that is quite formulaic by today's standards, but really holds up for a good time. Uh, moving on to Sunday, though, and we're talking about formulaic. Here's one that really breaks formula. Um, five star, 11.25. I'm really looking forward to talking about this with Paul Ross this weekend as well. It, <laughs> so I, 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 I don't know if he's ever, he's ever uh, seen this. Strash is one he'd enjoy. Um, 
So this is uh, this is from 1998, I believe. John McNaughton's twisty, turny, almost whodunit thriller, starring Denise Richards, uh, Nev Campbell, Kevin Bacon, and Matt Dillon. It is, of course, a mainstay of every teenage boy's VHS shelf in the late 1990s. Always worn out at the same exact place on the tape, or, or two places on the tape, if we can be honest. Wild Things. Bex, remember Wild Things? I do. It was every boy's wet dream. So (laughs) (laughs) um, I I remember sitting and watching part of this. And actually, I left uh, watching it with a load of my guy friends when we were like at at school and basically was like, I'm bored of this. And they were like, yeah, see you later. It's actually a really (laughs) good movie. The actual movie itself, the the twist, the turns. Bill Murray's in this, we always forget. And this is when he was starting to get more uh, sort of weird and, and... sort of like he is now uh, when he was sort of shying away from comedies more but this is I, I, I defy anyone who's never seen Wild Things to start watching the movie and try and predict where this is ending up because nobody no it, it would not happen anyway um, another one this one came out of the blue back in I think it was 2002 starring a then relatively unknown young actor named Christian Bale, known only to people who had seen the likes of Yuzis and Little Women. But here he was, all grown up, in Equilibrium, which is showing on great movies, 11.25 on Monday night. Um, This is, I think it's Kurt Vimmer writing and directing, uh, sort of an Orwellian, you know, fascistic utopian sci-fi tale in which human beings take a drug called prosium every day to stifle their emotions so they're all kind of like data from star trek and uh, mm. but it's all like modeled on 1930s german you know imagery so there's a very fascist kind of look to the whole thing and they go around burning works of art and books like think the books and things like that that cause human beings to feel emotion and they call it sense offending and um christian bale's character is one of the enforcers of this a cop named i think his name's john preston and of the of the tetra tetragrammaton i think it's called and he forgets to take his prose in one day and starts to feel emotion only to then find himself at odds with the society he has dedicated his life to defending here he is talking to a known sense offender in an interrogation room to safeguard the continuity of this great society. To serve Libya. It's circular. You exist to continue your existence. What's the point? What's the point of your existence? To feel. Because you've never done it, you can never know it. But it's as vital as breath. And without it, without love, without anger, without sorrow, Uh, equilibrium, not to be confused with Elysium, which is what I thought you were referring to, which was the Matt Damon movie. Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. yeah, I just had to look that up. I was like, I'm wait, sure wait. it was a Matt Damon movie. For, for how for how few films Neil Blomkamp seems to actually manage to get made, I think we owe him more than to to just casually forget and mix them up. He makes so few, yet gets signed up to so many. But uh, <laughs> speaking of, speaking of movies like that, this this next one that we have for 
for the Tuesday night. This one went through its share of directors and scripts, um, eventually reaching screens in, I think, 2004, maybe late 2003. Paul W.S. Anderson writing and directing. Somehow it didn't star Mila Jovovich. It is Alien <laughs> vs. Predator, 9 p.m. on Great Movies. Starred uh, Sana Latham and uh, the great Lance Henriksen, amongst others. The motley crew of sort of, you know, ragtag mercenaries who go into an ancient Arctic pyramid that it turns out is a breeding ground for alien eggs designed as a training facility for young predators. So it's the mashup of two great franchises. It's schlocky fun. I mean, it's rubbish. Yeah. But it's kind of schlocky is the right word, made. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> made i mean the sequel is worse but the sequel still has its its sort of you know gleeful moments i kind of like the idea of giving up and coming horror directors access to the alien and predator franchises and and seeing what they can do with it because i think there's enough material in that playground to be done with that i don't understand why they're so restrictive on it um speaking of restrictive oh button up the corset we're going to downton on Wednesday night, 8 p.m. on ITV3. It's Downton Abbey. It's, you know, it's only been five minutes. You know, it feels like it's only been five minutes since we reviewed this, but it was just before the pandemic. It was late 20 Yeah. Remember I remember you and I went to the Clapham, uh, not the Clapham Picture House, you and I went Picture to House. the Se- Picture House Central to watch this. Yeah. And we, had a jo- we had a jolly good time. We enjoyed it a lot more than we thought we were going to enjoy it. And it made me then go back and revisit Downton Abbey, did. the series. It did. I, I remember. Yeah, because yeah, I hadn't actually seen down to Nabby until I watched that movie and it was it was good um and I'm very much looking forward to the new Downton Abbey movie that's coming out in just a couple of weeks as well so yeah I'm excited and I think in this one that the plot this time around is I believe there's going to be a royal visit nearby and I yes. believe the the, the the queen is going to be the, is it the king I think it's the king at that point isn't it is going yeah. to be popping by Downton Abbey does Miss Smith know the truth yes she does when I get home, I will hire another maid and Lucy can be my companion. But that's much more suitable. And I'm afraid you'll dislike it, but she says that she and Tom Branson have agreed to correspond. If you dislike it, I will lick the stones myself. <laughs> <laughs> you are amazing, Violet. You haven't won, you know. I don't believe in defeat. The formidable Maggie Smith there um, with <laughs> she you cannot beat her she is just no, incredible no. in this movie um, so Downton Abbey uh, eight pm on ITV three on Wednesday and then rounding off the week an absolute classic we don't need to spend much time on it because we all know how brilliant this is it's the Richard Curtis classic Notting Hill is on nine pm ITVB and you know what this is a film that I like to watch at least twice a year if it pops up I will sit there and I will just watch it and uh, that's probably what's going to happen on next Thursday. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a boy sat before a girl touting a rom-com. Welcome back to Off Screen. Now we have taken you on a wild ride of movies. Throughout your big screen, your small screen, it's my favourite part, which is everything in between DVD, Blu-rays and streaming. And you know what? I I think everything this week is pretty... No, we do have some DVD and Blu-rays, but we do have one thing on Disney+. Plus. We had an absolute plethora of things uh, you, last yeah. week. And <laughs> you I get think some just... weeks, don't you? You get some weeks where we, our cup runneth over and there's some weeks where, you know, just a drip. 
it's but extreme. I don't know why they don't just spread it out. I think that's you know that you couldn't possibly watch all of last week's offerings in one go. Well, we don't but... work in marketing, do we? That's that's. I mean, I, I, we were scraping the barrel. I'll be honest with Friday's pick, with today's pick, which is on Disney Plus, and and this is mostly for sentimental reasons, but also it has notes as being, I think, the youngest skewing movie that Jim Carrey has ever put his name to. Uh, it is the. It was the big release the very first week. I ever worked as a film critic. It is Mr. Popper's Penguins, which comes to Disney Plus from today. So I can tell you for a fact that it was released on August 6th, 2011, because that was the first week. (laughs) That was the first uh, release day for films. Um, And it is Jim Carrey's, I think he's a marketing exec, who accidentally gets sent a container full of penguins. It's a remake in and of itself. And and of course, said penguins take over his life. As you'll hear in our madcap clip, in which, uh, obviously it's a Jim Carrey family movie, so he's a divorced dad um his ex-wife in this case is uh, it's not Maura Tierney in this one it's um Carla Gugino so here he is showing his his visiting kids the penguins you ready for the big birthday celebration fiesta <laughs> yeah penguin six penguins it's good counting billy <laughs> do they have names uh this one's captain <laughs> and that's loud Hey, hey! <laughs> one's stinky. He loves me. <laughs> oh, that's lovey. Somehow this managed to skew for an even younger audience than than Liar Liar. So I would argue that this is the most like you could show this to a five year old, for instance, and and they'd be perfectly fine with it. It's on Disney Plus. It's a pretty pretty fun, you know, sort of sweet little Jim Carrey family film. Uh, I don't, you know, I wouldn't go nuts for it, but you know, it's it's, it's a mm. good one to watch. Um, on Monday though, we get to the bulk of our uh, our home offerings for the week on DVD and Blu-ray, starting with Belfast which is now the Oscar-winning Belfast as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we reviewed this. It feels like five minutes ago as well. Well, I, I, do you know what? I, I recently saw, and this is slightly off topic, but I saw on my Amazon Fire Stick that then suddenly they're now releasing The Batman on Prime <laughs> very soon. And I was like, this has literally just come off cinema. So what um, the hell's going on? But obviously those release dates are, are changing. I'm in the I'm in the US at the moment, and it came to HBO Max here on Monday. So I, I, I can't tell you it is, and it is getting watched. Like every time you, you're walking down the street, you do notice in people's houses like the big booming TV play because the Batman is a pretty distinctive looking movie. So it's getting yeah. some play on streaming. I can I can tell anecdotally tell you that from Kalamazoo, Michigan. But uh, Belfast, I don't quite see gaming gaining the same traction. But I think its appearance on DVD and Blu-ray, Ken Branagh's, you know nostalgic look back, a coming-of-age tale set during the Irish Troubles, in black and white, no less. I think it's going to find probably more of its audience on on DVD and Blu-ray, because I think it is going to hit hardest with the grandparents, whom notably you will hear in this clip, starring the great and Oscar-nominated Kieran Hines. If I could come up with something smart about that, maybe I could step at the top desk and wait till she gets back there. You could say the moon's made of green cheese and drop down a place. Or you could do the project together, you and a young lady. You get the same marks and maybe end up on the same seat together. But how do you even talk to you? How to handle a woman? There's a way, said the wise old man. (coughs) A way known by every woman since the whole rigmarole. Yes, all rigmarole with you, mister. 
I do love Kieran Hines. I love Gina Balfi. I love Jamie Dornan. I love, you know, Judy Dench. But this, I did not love this film. I, I just, I, I know it, you and I, yeah, yeah, we struggled with it, didn't we? It's, we um, did a bit. Not for us. No, it's not for us, but it will be yeah. for a lot of people. It was for the Academy. Um, <laughs> yes, so, you know, it, it's one of those ones. So if you want to check it out, it is available on DVD and Blu-ray as of Monday. I can tell you, speaking of ones that are not for us, but I can, you know, we can understand. You know, uh, Sing Two is coming to disc as well on Monday, and I, I, I'm just anecdotally again, like in, you, we were always asking, like who who are the discs released for? In this case, I can tell you, this one is going to fly off the shelf for parents who have DVD players in their cars for young kids, and oh, you know, yeah. because di- digital like streaming to cars and things is still not a thing yet. Believe me, I have played around with like using a mobile hotspot and Fire Stick and a car it's fiddly it's complicated it doesn't work discs are easier so our kids for instance do watch like the harry potter films 101 domination like, over and over in the car so i can imagine sing 2 will get some play because i know that on streaming it has been watched to death by just about every parent i know i myself have seen <laughs> sing 2 four five times I don't, I don't what, more than Encanto? <laughs> I have I have genuinely seen a Sing 2 more than I have seen Encanto. I've only seen Encanto twice, but I've seen Sing 2 four or five times because I actively hate, as you will hear in, our, in this next clip, Bono. <gasps> Maybe it's like room service? Open up or you're dead, Moon! Okay, it's not room service. You and your dumb friends better not be hiding in there! What are we going to do? Guys, we just gotta be brave now. Are you saying we should fight these thugs? No, no, they'll beat us to a pulp. We're gonna put this show on whether Crystal likes it or not. But first, we're gonna jump out that window. What? I'm beginning to like this guy. No, shut up, Bono. Your role's clearly written for Bowie. Anyway, Sing 2 is out on disc. Uh, come is Monday. that Bono at the end? No, he's Bono at the end. I'm starting to like it. What is that? That's not your voice, Alan. It's or not his voice. No, that's my name, Batman. Shut up, Bono. Is his anyway, name Alan in real life? I, I, you know, he's got—I like, forget what his real name is. But he's got some, some some completely normal, like Norman type name. Anyway, moving on to uh, sorry, Normans. To, <laughs> sorry, Normans. But uh, moving on to other movies out on Monday on disc. Moonfall is out, and I, I've got to celebrate this one because. It's very rare that even I could say, wow, Emmerich, you've released some pap this time. I mean, we got to do it with Independence Day Resurgence, admittedly. But there are always people who will make apologies for Roland Emmerich movies. My own mother will watch The Day After Tomorrow till she's blue in the face. I can't, and 2012 and and all that stuff. She loves those movies. I don't think even she could make an excuse for Moonfall. Moonfall is the latest Roland Emmerich disaster movie in which the moon is falling out of orbit. Its gravity is off. But also, there's this weird nanotechnology particle entity monster in space that eats technology. Into this mix (laughs) comes... Sam from Game of Thrones, whose name escapes me offhand, if I'm honest, who's playing Josh Gad in a role it would later turn out Josh Gad had been Done hired well, for and then, and then quit. Um, and he's the conspiracy theorist who thinks the moon is hollow, it's actually a Dyson sphere, and inside is an alien race that's actually attacking us. Because it turns out the moon being out of orbit makes the planet go all wonky, and we have to fly an ancient spaceship that uses older technology into it that's being flown by Patrick Wilson. None of this makes any sense. 
<laughs> it's comprised entirely of set pieces from other Roland Emmerich movies. It's absolutely deranged. Have a listen to the kind of time you're in for. With I'm not saying don't watch it, because it's just so ludicrous. You have to laugh along with it. But it's no Geostorm, as you'll hear here. You know, without electronics, we're going to need to make split-second calculations up there. Plus, we lost our flight engineer. Mm. No. No, no, no. Guys, I'm not cleared for this. Well, I'm the acting director of NASA, so... I just cleared you. Congrats. Yeah, but... I've got IBS. Irritable bowel syndrome. I get motion sickness, too. You said you always wanted to be an astronaut. I have debilitating anxiety. KC, if the moon really is what you think it is, we're gonna need a megastructurist. Suit up. I remember... Your excitement the week before watching this, and your, uh, your utter disappointment having watched it. Um, so there's no Geostorm. There's no Geostorm. That is um, Moonfall on available on DVD or Blu-ray from Monday, and that wraps us up for another week here on Off Screen. We will be taking you through um, four top movies next week as well. So, what have we got for us, Van? Well, next week, this is one that's been quite buzzy because I think it was shown on uh, it's on Hulu here in the US. Uh, we're all going to the World's Fair. Uh, is next week. We've got the documentary uh, The Velvet Queen, Snow Leopard, um, as well as the documentary Your Mum and Dad, A Devastating Truth, and Casablanca Beats, which is the latest Gerzon movie, which generally means we're in for a good time, but subtitled. (laughs) Nice. Well, I look forward to talking through all of them with you, Van, and I'm sure everyone else looks forward to listening to us go on and on about it, whether or not it is subtitled or not. But for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor and we shall return. <laughs>